following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We're back in the first Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. And that's the page 993 in the Pew Bibles. Um, well, we ended our text uh, last week with um, Paul talking about how some false teachers saw the marketability of godliness um, and used it to advance their worldly pursuits um, and financial gain. Um, and what they were missing is a proper perspective on godliness and their financial situation. And hopefully our text this morning can give us a clear picture on how godliness and contentment with our financial circumstances go hand in hand. So we look at our text and then we'll pray. First uh, Timothy 6, start at verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Amen. Let's pray. Hmm. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you that these are your words, and this is the pattern that you have for us to follow. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes to your truth and soften our hearts to receive it and apply it to our lives. We need your help with that. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. Well, when I saw um, the crowd this morning compared to last week, I figured people had read ahead in First Timothy, knew we were going to talk about money, so they found somewhere else to be this morning. <laughs> but then you all came back, so that's good. Um. When um, when it comes to money, um, when it comes to wealth and prosperity, perspective is everything. Um, when I was a kid, my family was part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Bethel, Maine. Um, every so often, the church would invite missionaries to come, and they'd come and they'd share their stories of their life and work in the far-flung corners of the earth, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and starting churches and things like that. Now, to me as a kid, uh, these people seem like heroes. Uh, and, and what I remember most is that these people would make something out of nothing. They had, they had nothing. Right, we were talking about five guys riding on a motorcycle earlier this morning. They did that because they had to, um, you know. It seemed like the less that they had, the the more heroic they became. 
uh, in my mind. And I think probably had a lot of Gilligan's Island stories kind of mixed in there in my imagination, too. There, some island making radio out of coconuts or something. But we would hear stories of the missionaries and their six kids having to travel miles through the jungle on nothing but a pogo stick and they'd, you know, living in mud huts and making toys out of goat droppings and things like that. And I mean, these are heroes, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. And the thing that I noticed was that they seemed content with what they had. Like, yep, we got toys made out of goat droppings. That's what the Lord's given us. And that's all right with us. That was funny in my mind. But I'm sure that they really were content. But what was happening in me was, was I was seeing their poverty as their virtue. Like they are better than me because they have less than me. Like I, I often complain I didn't have much as a kid, but my, my toy box was full and my belly was full. Um, I never had to wonder what, to, you know, what I was going to eat that day. Um, but to me, I was seeing their poverty as their virtue, not their contentment, nor their dependence on the Lord for provision. In my mind, being poor equaled being godly. It's the same thing. If you're, you know, the most godly people have the least amount of stuff. And they have the least amount of money, they have nothing. Well, in our day today, in 2018, uh, it seems quite different um, it seems to me that the goal is less about godliness and more about blessedness. And how do we know when someone is blessed by the Lord? They have, thank you. When they have a lot of stuff. Oh, they're really blessed. Look at that Winnebago. They have, whoa, they really must be blessed by the Lord because, you know, they can shop at the fancy store. I don't even know what a fancy store is, so. Uh, I won't try to use a name because Target, right? Or Renee's House of Style over in Bridgeton, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so now we all see what side of the coin we're on this morning, don't we? <laughs> well, I think it's like uh, Ray Steadman jokingly said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will bring you good luck. You don't know scripture well enough to know that was a joke. That's, he says, he will make your path straight, not bring you good luck. Whew, maybe we need to pray again. Um, time, yeah, time for another cup of coffee, everybody. In 2018, it seems that God wants you to have that new car. God wants you to have that new house. You just have to believe Him for it, right? He wants to bless you. God wants to bless you like you're the only thing that's getting in the way of God's blessing. And the Father may well want you to have a new car or a new house. He may well want to bless you, but it's not for you. It's not for your comfort or ease of living. I guarantee he doesn't want to increase your hoard just so you can sit on it more comfortably. Everything that the Lord gives to us, he gives to us so that we can give it back to him for his purpose and the advance of his kingdom. And this is the perspective I'm talking about. I don't want to get too preachy or anything. 
So we get back to our text. There are two main ideas in these verses. The first is the excellence of contentment, and the second is the evil of avarice. I think that's the first time in my life I've ever said the word avarice out loud. Verse 6 says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. See, the truth is that there is no special virtue in being poor, and there is no special virtue in being rich. The virtue is found in being content with what we have because godliness with contentment is true wealth. Paul echoed the words of Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. We are going to leave this life with the same amount of stuff we brought into it. Zero. So everything in between is either used to worship the Lord or worship something else or someone else. Those are your only two options. That's it. When we were born, we had nothing, not even a diaper. And if we live long enough, when we die, we'll leave that diaper behind. We are born utterly dependent on the grace of others. Think about that. If there's no one to catch that baby going right on the floor, we're utterly dependent on the grace of others. And as often as the case, if we live a good long life, we will die completely dependent on the grace of others. The illusion is that we think we're not dependent on anybody in the years in between. Well, once I could feed myself, I'm on my own, and I can do it myself. And that's not really true. It's the recognition that we are dependent on the grace of God at all times. That is the secret to godliness with contentment. Everything that we have is given to us by the Lord for His purpose, not for our comfort, for His use, not just for our enjoyment. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I remember we talked about this verse uh, months ago. We say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So we can claim that promise when we take it out of its context to go try to fly out home instead of drive. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Wrong. He's talking about contentment. He's talking about learning to live with the situation that we're in. We can do everything that God has assigned us to do with the strength that he provides, with the resources that he provides. That's why he has provided us resources, in order to serve him, not serve ourselves. The secret to contentment is recognizing our utter dependence on the Lord, and that every situation that we're placed in, whether it's with a lot of money or a little, or none at all, or more than we can handle, 
Whether we've been given a lot or a little, we are given it for God's purpose, to use for His glory and not our own. If you don't hear me say anything else today, hear that. Everything we are given, we are given for God's glory and not ours. For His use, not our comfort. Jesus spoke of this in His parable of the talents in Matthew 25. If you read Matthew 25, the whole chapter, and don't get uncomfortable, you need to ask the Lord for help. Start at verse 14 of Matthew 25. Jesus speaking of the kingdom of heaven. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ow. The point of the parable is to recognize that all we have been given, we have been given by the Father to use for His good. Notice how those servants didn't say, well, you gave me five, I made five more, I lived off one, so here's nine. Right? I needed a new horse, so here's nine and three quarters. No. Everything they had been given, they gave back to the master. Everything we have been given has been given to us by God, and we are to give it back to Him. None of it belongs to us. All of our worldly possessions, whether great or little, are on loan. On loan from God for us to do His work and not just bury in the backyard 
or create a hoard for ourselves. It's when we recognize that all that we have is His and understand and embrace the excellence of contentment that it is the Father who gives us strength and resources to accomplish His will on earth. That's the secret to contentment. The excellence of contentment, recognizing that everything comes from God anyway, and it all belongs to Him. Now, along with embracing the excellence of contentment, we must also recognize the evil of avarice. Now, you all came in here this morning. Avarice was the first word on your mouth when you woke up this morning, right? We're all familiar with avarice? No? It's all right. Avarice is simply the love of money. Not just loving money, but uh, not to um, exaggerate, but it is the gnawing lust for more money. For gaining money in all possible ways and the desire to keep it at all costs. It's the, in the second half of our text this morning, we have the most often misquoted verse in Scripture, which is exciting. We'll get to talk about that. Verse 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now, where is the misquoted verse? It's the, no, money is the root of all evil, right? That's what the fortune cookie says, but that's not what the scripture says. Money is not the problem. Money isn't even the issue. The continual lust for more is the issue. It's a willing to do whatever it takes to get more. That's the problem. Now, I'm happy to say I don't have this problem with money. Me and money get along fine. And, they, you know, we have a relationship. It comes to me occasionally, and it always goes away again. We're not really even that close because it doesn't hang around for long. I do have this problem with woodworking tools. I have, I have a lot of tools. Like, a lot. More... More than I, well, maybe I could use just a few more. Um, there's nothing wrong with having these tools, but uh, there's just a few more things I could use. It's a little bit like John Rockefeller. John Rockefeller was like the richest man ever, right? And he was asked one time, how much money is enough? And Noah T. responded, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, Zach is going to the land of the weekend houses of the Rockefeller family in the Berkshires. You can see mansion after mansion after mansion that belong to the Rockefeller family. And these were like their, their weekend getaways. And you can fit the entire town of Ossipee inside, right? And what did he want? Just a little bit more. Money is just a tool. That's it. It's no different than a, 
a wrench or a hammer or, or a chop saw. Worldly possessions and influence are just tools. That's it. The question that we have to wrestle with when it comes to this idea is do you hold your tools or do your tools hold you? I prefer to not be swung by my hammer. But sometimes that's how it is. I would personally sooner lock up my wood shop than my house when leaving for the weekend. That's just how it is. Hmm. As some people, some people just have a lot of money. I don't want you to go away thinking you're right. Rich people, they're bad. And because they're rich, they're bad. And it's all their fault, everything. That's, I don't mean that. There's nothing inherently wrong with having money. It's how you view it and what you do with it that matters. I can have a lot of tools. You can have a lot of tools. And if you just use them to pad your own nests and not help anyone else, that's a problem. Wealth is not a sign of blessing. I want you to understand that. Wealth is not a sign of blessing. Like God likes those who have more money, more than you, because you don't have any. So clearly, God's upset with you or doesn't like you very much. That's not the truth. Wealth is not a sign of blessing. It's just that the Lord wants to use those people, use you to accomplish something that takes more money or more influence. That's it. If you don't have a lot of money, it's because God doesn't need you to have a lot of money to accomplish His will. It's plain and simple. If you do have a lot of money, it's because God wants you to in order to use for Him. The trick is to find those things that will survive this life and invest in them. Real estate and uh, tools and cars and all of this stuff is fine. But investing in that stuff will not last beyond this life, if that's just the point. I get 40 acres of land because I wanted 40 acres of land. What does that accomplish for God's kingdom? Uh, not much, unless you get it to use for Him. I don't know how to do that. Maybe build a farm and feed the hungry. Maybe build a hotel and house the homeless. I don't know. But we need to find the things that will survive this life and on into the next and invest in them. And what is that? Is it money? Is it power? Is it influence? Is it land? Is it cars? What will survive this life and live on into the next? Souls. People. Only people that know Christ. That's where our investment ought to be, whether small or little. Whatever we have should be invested in that. Paul describes the state of those poor folks whose treasure is worldly wealth and their desire is to only accumulate more. He paints a picture like water being drained from the tub, swirling in a downward spiral. And those people are drowning in the downward spiral. And the end is not just death, but eternal destruction. 
They are tempted to use and increase their worldly wealth in unjust ways. They are slaves to protecting their hordes at all costs. They trade their faith for their treasure, and in essence, they sell their souls for money. You hear the story about, this is not theologically or eschatologically accurate, but the man who died, and in his will he said, I want to be buried with all my gold bricks. I think I've told this before. And he gets to the pearly gates and says to St. Peter, who doesn't decide who gets in or not, but it's a joke. And he says to St. Peter, all right, I'm here, and I got my, I've got my, uh, my gold bricks with me. And Peter says, well, I see your name is on the list. You get to come in, but I have one question for you. And the man says, yes, what is it? And St. Peter says, why did you bring all of this pavement? I didn't say it was a good joke. <laughs> but in God's eternal kingdom, what good is money? When we are gone, when this life is over, what good is money? Buy a nice casket, right? A big fancy stone, maybe. I read last week about the man who had a good harvest and his barns weren't big enough, so he had to build bigger barns. Instead of using what the Lord had provided for God's kingdom, he decided to build a big pile of his stuff so he could sit on it. And the Lord says, you fool, this night your life will be required of you. What is going to happen with all of this stuff? Right? That's the perspective the Lord's asking us to have when it comes to wealth. It's not a bad thing, but we need to use it for his good, his kingdom. The pangs with which those poor people are pierced with are the pangs of a wounded conscience, which the covetous feel when their eyes are open to the shameful means that they have used toward the ends of just gathering larger hoard. Now, I want you to understand that uh, rich people are nowhere commanded to cast off their riches. There is no line. <laughs> like if your bank account has more than this, no, this is excess, so give it away. This, this, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Rich people are not commanded to cast away their riches, but not to trust in them and to do good with them. All of us. Now, you think, sit here thinking, oh, well, I'm not rich. I don't have a lot. No, you're probably right. But it's only because our perspective is limited to our experience around here. Take Take all of your worldly possessions to other parts of the world and all of a sudden we're sitting on a high horse, right? Uh, this, this proves right here in this area that this all, we're doing all right. I'm not starving. A lot of the world is. The basic needs of mankind are what? What do we really need? Food, clothing, shelter. We only need shelter. You don't need shelter at all. You don't even need a house. It's beautiful. But in the end, if just these needs are met, people will still be bound for destruction. The greatest need of mankind is for forgiveness. Right? It's to accept the Lord's Jesus, the Lord Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf for our sin. That's mankind's greatest need, to be united with God through faith in His Son. Now, it may just take using whatever worldly possessions or influence that we have 
to meet people's physical needs to give opportunity to meet their greatest spiritual needs. Anything that meet the spiritual needs of other people. Jesus said that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. How about with contentment our treasure? Make the gospel our treasure. Because those are the things that will live beyond this life and on into eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I confess this is much easier word to say than to do. We recognize, Lord, that you have blessed us immensely. And I pray that uh, we would use what you have given to us for your kingdom and your work here on earth. That our great desire would be for godliness. And our great desire would be for people to come to know Jesus. And that we would use whatever resources and influence you have given us to those ends. Not just to pat our nests. Not just to pile up a big hoard of money. But to use what you've given to us for your glory and our good. Because the greatest good is expanding your kingdom. May we all be engaged in that work with whatever resources you have given to us. For we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.